Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Entangling Vines, Case 26. Kyogen's Sound of a Bamboo. One day, Kyogen Chikan was cutting weeds when he knocked a piece of tile against a bamboo. Hearing the sound, Kyogen was suddenly awakened. He composed a verse. A single tuck, all prior knowledge forgotten. This is not the result of practice. Daily activities proclaim the ancient way. No more falling into passive stillness. Wherever I go, I leave no trace. In all situations, my actions are free. Everywhere, masters of the way speak of this as the highest function. Good afternoon, at least this afternoon here on the East Coast of these United States of America. It might be a completely different time zone, a different portion of the day that you might find yourselves wherever that is, wherever that may be. Yet here we are together together connected apart. And I cannot think of any better representation of the basic teachings of the Buddha. All is one, everything is equal but distinct. It's a privilege to join you today in this session at this time. As Shingeroshi alluded to in her introduction, these times in which we live are asking us to do a lot. We face questions, we face challenges, we face this moment. And in that, it is not different than any other time that we have lived through, any other time that our ancestors, our forebearers, our fathers, mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, all the way back to the point where the first living being crawled out of that super ocean 
But even looking at it from that point of view, the challenges we are facing, they don't pass us by. You might think that somebody like these Zen teachers that give talks, these Oshos, these Roshis are unaffected by this. No, not at all. We are all together in this, on this ocean of samsara, each in our little nutshell that takes on water because we are all human beings and this is the basic human condition. And for the very sake of being able to gather our heart mind, we meet and spend time together entering the world before words, leaving behind that what seems so pressing, forgetting about the technical difficulties that we might experience even appearing here on screen and just falling into this wonderful long exhalation that comes with the ability, with the great fortune to be able to do session. Even more so, I think, and I feel deeply that all of us have become so much more attuned to the great privilege that we have, that we came across somebody who introduced us to this practice, that there was some kind of event in our lives that brought us to this point, that we started to investigate, that we started to ask questions. And hopefully one day that will lead us to not having to have an answer that is like an object we can hold on to. And this is a wonderful introduction to the koan that appears as case number 26 in the collection Entangling Vines. Entangling vines, words, koans that yet further are a challenge that is posed to us in this formal practice of Rinzai Zen that we pursue here. And today we meet a Zen master who is known mostly for his talking about the person hanging in the tree with their teeth grabbing the branch arms and legs not reaching the bow, not reaching the ground. But that is not this koan. This koan is a story from the very life of this master, of this master human being, Kyogen Chikan. So let's have a little look, a brief look at what we know about Kyogen Chika. 
We know he was born, but we don't know where and when exactly. But we know he died in the year 898, common time. He appears in five cases of this Entangling Vines collection. And one of his greatest challenges as a human being was that he was born into this world with this sharp, very keen mind, a very keen mind that picks up on many things very, very quickly. I suppose there are some of us here who suffer or are endowed with similar traits, thinking, seeing through on this level of cognition can be a wonderful asset in this life. And when we begin to become attached to that, what we do best and just hang out in the area of, of our greatest strength, things begin to be lopsided. And in order to come back to some kind of balance in this life, we start moving back and forth. And we engage in this practice that allows us to rediscover not only the side of our strength, but to go into the really unknown land of that, what we would call our shortcomings and the unknown. So that was the state of Kyogen as well. First, he studied under Hyakujo Eikai, the wonderful Hyakujo. But he moved on to one of Hyakujo's successors, Isan Reiyu, because Hyakujo got old too and eventually disappeared from this world. So he studied under Isan Reiyu. And when he came to the monastery where Isan taught, he had a big, big bundle of sutras, of commentaries, probably some dictionaries that were just starting to be created for this teaching of the Buddha that had come to China and that had really melted together with this wonderful Confucian scholastic mind. Extremely gifted translators like Kumara Jiva translated the sutras from the original Indian, the subcontinental Indian language in which they were written down eventually into the Chinese language of that time. An undertaking that is really, really unimaginable. I don't know how many of you had to live in two different cultures or had the luck to do that and be immersed and to learn through that, that in order to be a true bridge between two cultures, 
one has to become part of not just one and a half, but of both. And on top of it, that bridging is yet an extra effort. You cannot think in the other language or you cannot understand the culture of the language unless this kind of thinking, which has its own ways of working in different idioms, becomes your nature. Not second nature, but your nature. And some of these scholars were able to do that. So Kyogen studied all of it. And being noticed by Isan, one day the following interaction occurred. One day Isan said to Kyogen, I do not ask you what you have understood from the scriptures and commentaries. I would just like a word about the time before your mother gave birth to you and before you could discriminate things. Kyogen's quick mind, of course. Clever enough to come up with an answer. No acceptance. Okay, let me try this. Didn't work either. And pretty quickly, Kyogen ran out of answers. So what do we usually do when we run out of answers? Here's what Kyogen did. Oh, master, since I can't answer then, would you be so kind and please explain it to me? Isan replied, what I might say to you would merely be my own understanding. How could it benefit your own view? Hmm. Kyogen bowed and returned to his quarters to take refuge to what he knew best. And what would that be? Rooting through those scriptures, looking for any kind of note that would have to do with his state before his mother gave birth to him, before discrimination. And although he knew the scriptures very well, He could not find anything, nothing, nothing, nothing. Yet he had that very experience of being driven, being moved to have to solve, to have to get to a point where this question is no question anymore. 
I suppose we all have that feeling at times. And it is a very, very important intention in our practice, something that brings us to do this. And we might not even be able to say, this is why I'm, or that is why I'm engaging in this practice, but just this big question mark. Yet he couldn't find anything in his scriptures. And as he was sitting there, he must have been hungry. Because suddenly it came to him that the image of a cake, of a rice cake, does not satisfy the hungry. So he realized that looking at the scriptures was like looking at the image of something rather than having the food itself, having that experience that would lead him to be able to respond to the question of his master. So he went to Isan and said, well, master, I recognize the image of a rice cake does not satisfy the hungry. I shall take leave from you with tears in my eyes and attend to my karmic impediments here and become a wandering monk not engaging in the study of scriptures, not more intellectualizing, abstraction and all of that, and just tend to the moment as it comes and meets a wandering monk, sobbing, he left Isan. On the way out, his books, were added to the pile of firewood. A final goodbye to the study of secondhand Dharma. Angya is the word. Angya, pilgrimage. Pilgrimage in our lives. He went on Anga, stayed here, stayed there, and asked for the donations with Takuhatsu, receiving from those who were supporting the wandering monks. Or as we hear in the Diamond Sutra, allowing the Bodhisattvas to practice the acts of charity. And seeing all that, one day he arrived at an abandoned grave. And as he moved the weeds aside to see who was in that grave, because there was a stupor, he found it to be Nanyo Echu, the national teacher Echu, who had been buried there. 
his successors apparently forgot about his grave and it was abandoned. Inspired by the acts of kindness and of charity from those who had supported his life thus far, Kyogen vowed to take residence and restore the grave and that little hut that came with it. So that Nanyo Echu would receive the proper attention. And this is where case 26 happened. For many years, Kyogen cared just for the grounds, cutting weeds, moving debris, putting it into a pile to make it into compost and doing a lot of zazen, samu, as one of those activities that in his case wouldn't require him to think in discriminating terms. We all know the physical engagement into which we can enter when we dedicate ourselves to what we are doing so that we are not doing anymore, that we are being done, that this activity unfolds without the impediment of a self that needs to control it, that needs to be attached to an outcome, that needs to claim, I am doing this. I remember when I started my Zen practice with Genro Seon in Europe, in Austria. The first place where Seshin happened was bought after it had been an old folks home for blind people. Out in the country, you when you go there, well, even with the modern railway system, you change the train in one of the capitals of one of the provinces, then you take one of the regional trains to uh, another stop where you have to get off and get on a little choo-choo train that goes into the countryside. It was a wonderful thing to do to go to Sashin there this way. Stepping down step by step from the busy life, from the capital into the province, from the province into an even smaller place and then ending up in this one rail in, the, in one direction and the train going just back and forth, back and forth, getting off in this little hamlet where high on a mountain, really not a mountain, it's called Ginselberg. So it's some kind of a large hill on the top. There was this former old folks home for blind people. As you can imagine, 
when it was bought, the decor was rather lacking. There was no paint on the walls. Everything looked shabby because the people living there were not able to attend to it. And those who cared for them apparently didn't care for the upkeep of the house. There was only cold running water. And the first session that we had was in this part of the house that had no heat at all. It was part of the stable before. So sitting there, we could smell the greetings from the past of the previous occupants of the space. There were no Zabutons yet. We sat on recovered mattresses that were given out at some point during World War II that were made from horsehair. And when it got warm, the horsehair took on all this moisture and you couldn't miss the smell of it either. You had a choice between cow and horse. But that's how the Zen practice started there. Doing Samu, sitting, chanting, without being attached to any outcome. So Kyogen lived in a similar way. And one day while he was cutting some of those weeds with a scythe, you know, it's a, it's, it's a big sickle that you have to hold with two hands. In this way, full involvement. The blade must have hit some piece of tile that had fallen off the little shack and flicked it into the bamboos and there. It hit the stem of that hollow bamboo, making that little sound. And right at that moment, Jogen's eye opened and he awakened. You might have seen some images of Kyogen. And the interesting thing is in most of the images that are brush paintings, Kyogen is actually not holding one of those scythe, but he's sweeping, he's raking. And to a certain degree, it's interesting to note that because it says very clearly in the Chinese characters in this koan that he was cutting weeds with this full bodily engagement. And now, of course, if you have studied a few koans and read a few books about it, you might also pick up on the image of cutting weeds, cutting weeds, clearing the path 
sometimes it is described as clearing the path through the weeds to find the master. And this is exactly what he was doing. Not the master as a person, but the master of this existence. Cutting the weeds. Just another image for his doing Zazen, for his engagement in this practice with everything that he could bring to it. So let's just sum up a little bit what he brought with him. He brought with him his insight that second hand will not do. He acknowledged that he was very quick minded and that intellection will not bring it to him. He even asked Isan and learn from Isam, if I give it to you, yet it would be the same as a painted bun. With humility, he set out to serve somebody who had passed, passed from this world, but also passed through the same path of cutting the weeds of waking up, of engaging in this activity of clarification. As soon as he heard it, that talk on the hollow bamboo, everything was clear. He didn't write the poem right away. What did he do? It is described that he went into the hut to cleanse himself. He took a bath. He bathed himself. And then when he was ready, after that, all dressed up, he went, offered incense, and bowed into the direction of the temple of Isan Reyu. And he bowed, and over that long distance, he spoke to his teacher. And he said, the master's great compassion exceeds that of one's parents. Back then, if you had explained it to me, then how would this ever have come to pass? And then he offered the poem. It's quite an interesting observation to make here. When we speak about non-intellectual function in Zazen going beyond words, in the expression of our full engagement in an activity. Composing a poem according to very strict rules with rhymes that nowadays you look up in a dictionary 
and you construct it that way seems to involve quite a bit of intellectual functioning. But at the moment that Kyogen awoke, that intellectual functioning became an expression of his having touched and coming from that that was before words. And we'll see in the poem where he points to that in a very specific way. So here's the first line. A single talk, all prior knowledge forgotten. When we engage in Zazen, when we have the fortune to be in Seshin, or even the luxury of being at Daibosatsu Zendo, in the pristine nature with silence that speaks so fully and loudly, and we open up our senses, our heart, and our mind to this 360 degree spherical way of being. You might hear a bird sing. You might hear the trees make sounds in the wind. Or if it's the winter, even the lake sings. This unimpeded direct becoming one. Let Kyogen to his awakening. There is no knowledge there, nobody to know and nothing to be known. A single talk, all prior knowledge forgotten. This is not the result of practice, he says. So there is no accumulation to it. Zazen is not a practice or Zen practice is not a practice of accounting for the periods of Zazen. We might fall into that kind of false understanding at times in the beginning when we are told to count our breath. when the length of the practice means something, but it doesn't. So when we count our breath, lately I have to come to think about it in a different way and I like to express it the following way, counting the breath, for example. Again, it is not a counting. Counting the breath means to make every breath count every moment of the breath counts. Every moment of our being counts. Not in the sense of an enumeration anymore, but it counts as the full life that we manifest here and now. It's not a result of practice. 
daily activities proclaim the ancient way. The ordinary, again, just then, just this. When we go back to words, of course he could call it the ordinary. Daily activities proclaim the ancient way. This functioning of the activity of Dharma that we follow here is as ancient as the cosmos. No more falling into passive stillness. This is the line to which I pointed before. Here it is. No more passive stillness. When we do a lot of Zazen, we might develop a wonderful ability to enter Samadhi. We might arrive at the capacity of experience that experiencing that no self, Muga, of everything dropping off. We might arrive, as if you might remember, just a few koans ago, we might arrive at the top of the 100-foot pole. And it might be so still that we even forget about asking, where do we go from here? Where then our teacher has to come and say, how do you step forward from the top of that pole? Passive stillness. Quietism won't do it. Instead of before, leaning to the side of intellection, we can also learn and get stuck leaning in the side of absolute stillness. And neither state, always moving. That is what Kyogen expresses through this. So all of his Zazen comes to fruition, not through accumulation, but just through the realization that this is it. This is Wherever I go, I leave no trace. I had mentioned Genro already. Genro Seon. Don't leave any traces. Exactly. He pointed me to that one wall in that house I had spoken about. That was freshly painted. And on the bottom, on the floor around it, everywhere, the splatter. It was painted without giving it the attention that we in Zen practice have to give to things, not leaving traces. Gendro explained it in the way of saying, well, 
the wall itself takes the pain without any resistance. But then your human ego has to leave some of those splatters on the bottom so you can say, hey, I painted that wall. Don't leave traces. Leaving traces can be very difficult, especially if we leave traces in relationships. We do not follow through. We do not resolve them fully. But once in this moment when he awoke, he did not leave any more traces. Kyoga and Chika. In the world, I forget proper conduct is the translation of one of one of the translations. Some Thomas Kirshner, Yuho, Shak Yuho says, in all situations, my actions are free. This actually points to these four positions. That's the characters you find in the koan, the shi igi, that describe the four postures that Zen monks, Buddhist monks take, which are walking, standing, sitting, and lying down, according to the Vinaya and even the Chinese Chan rules. It is all reglamented. There are rules for all of these. But in shorthand, sometimes it also refers to every conceivable mode of human activity. Always, whatever one is doing, 24 hours a day, the proper deportment. I forget proper conduct. Does it mean he, Kyogen, was running around misbehaving? No. He just forgot about imposing the rules of some kind of propriety that is conceived. Being open and receptive to that what is needed to be done in the very moment. Everywhere, masters of the way speak of this as the highest function. And of course, that highest function, like the forgetting of the proper conduct, point to becoming in accordance with the way. No prior knowledge helps there. No preconceived notions no future goals, no aspirations, no wish to attain. Taitokusuru, to make and conceive with the body, to manifest, that is the true reincarnation of the human being. So this is the end of the poem. Now you'll say, oh, great, he's going to stop soon. But now, no, there's a story after it. And I want you to know that story. 
So after he had said that, Kyogen, he, he asked one of the monks who came by, here, please take this poem to my teacher, Isan. And upon hearing that verse, Isan said to Kyozan, this disciple of mine has awoken. But Kyozan was not so quick. Kyozan said, hmm, I remember that fellow. This is a good representation of mind function. But wait, and, and let me go there in person and check out what Kyogen has to say. So not much later, Kyozan arrived at Kyogen's place. And they met. And Kyozan said, Master Isan has praised the great matter of your awakening. What else do you say as evidence of it? Kyogen was just going to repeat the verse. And Kyozan had to say, well, no, no, tell me something else. Because this verse could be composed from the things that you have studied earlier. I remember your, your aptitude. If you had a genuine awakening, do say something else to express it. Kyogen then composed another verse that said the following. Last year's poverty was not real poverty. This year's poverty finally is genuine poverty. In last year's poverty, there was still ground where I could plant my hoe. In this year's poverty, not even the whole remains. Kyozan said, I grant you that you have realized the Zen of the Tathagata. But as for the Zen of the ancestors, you haven't seen it even in your dreams. Without taking any offense, Kyogen composed another verse that said the following, I have function. It is seen in the twinkling of an eye. If others don't see it, they still can't call me a novice. When Kyozan heard this verse, He was convinced and reported to Isan, it's wonderful. Kyogen truly has realized the Zen of the ancestors. Kyogen became Isan's 
successor. So apparently we are hearing about two different kinds of Zen. Tathagata Zen or Nyorai Zen and the ancestral Zen. Soshi Zen. If you pick up the book Golden Wind with Tesos by Edo Roshi, you can read a little bit about it in there. It's a distinction between the Zen that is more on the scholastic side, which we know Kyogen came from, and the Zen of the expression of the ancestors that went through this, where scholasticism, intellect, thinking does not play such a role. There's one note though I want to make here. My ordination teacher, Joshua Roshi, his Zen, his very style of teaching Zen is also called Tathagata Zen. But in Japanese it is Nyoko Nyorai Zen, which means thus come, thus gone. So even though it's called Tathagata Zen, it's the Zen of this activity of Dharma that includes the coming and the going. So not to be mistaken here. It's a great topic that we could go on contemplating for the rest of our lives. And that really sounds like a wonderful idea. Now, let's not leave it on the side of just the Tathagata Zen. But let's plant our behinds on that cushion. Forget everything. And then again, get up and realize the ancestral Zen of all the 10,000 things. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.